Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, I've been working on my preacher voice for a week, but I still did not get it. So I'm just going to use my regular voice. Praise God. You know, uh, thank you, Jigush, for that incredible introduction. Uh, I don't know why he did that, but I think he did it on purpose to put a lot of pressure, saying, I'm a smart guy, I used, you know, several terms, and I don't know what to expect, but today I just want to share the word of God and what he has for you. Amen? My name is Isaac Kumbua. I'm born again. Uh, Jesus is Lord. And, uh, you know, I just want us to have some fun today as we listen to the word of God. How many people believe that we can have fun in church and still listen to the word of God? Amen? Um, I don't know who sold us to the myth of, you know, in church you have to have a certain kind of demeanor, you look a certain way, you walk a certain way so you don't disturb the spirit. The, the Holy Spirit is okay, okay? It doesn't matter whether you jump or you scream, the Holy Spirit is fine. Okay, remember about um, during the Pentecost. Now, the, 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 the disciples were, were praying in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit came in form of fire. So do you think the Holy Spirit just walked in in a mild way and go like, hey, Linda, do you want to get some, you know, to speak in tongues? No, it was just powerful. So the Holy Spirit is okay. So today I just want us to have some fun as we listen to the Word of God. Now, some of you are wondering why I have two microphones. You know, I always get ready just in case this doesn't work. You know, I can use the other one. All right, now do me a favor. Turn to the person next to you. Give them a big smile. Make it genuine, okay? Look at someone. Look at someone. And tell them, this is amazing. Say, this is amazing. Congratulations, you made it to church. There are so many people who either wanted to be here, but they couldn't make it. Something came up. There's someone who has been planning on either coming back to church, but something comes up every single day. There's someone who did not plan on being in church. That's a different dimension altogether, but you're here today. You know, when I think about church, I think of a place where Literally, I want to hang around every single day. Can you imagine? And I just want you to imagine with me waking up every morning and you get ready and you know that you're going to hang out with people who are talking about blessings and love and peace and prosperity. I mean, don't you want to hang out with people like those? Amen. That's what we do in church. When you come here, we have one mission, one goal, one direction that we want to move just to listen to the word of God, to be ministered of him. And of course, to share some tea and snacks at the end of the service. How about that? Amen? Yeah, so throughout, I just want you to give me some kind of smiles. Don't be too serious. Um, In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said that I give you dominion over the sea and everything in the sea. That's the fish, the sharks, the snakes who live in in the water. I'll give you dominion over the land and everything that moves on top of the land. And I'll give you dominion over the air. That's what we were given. Now, I'm trying to imagine if we have one of the young adults, because we are the kind of people who get very curious. You read that, that verse and you say, God has given me dominion because dominion means power and strength. And um, if I'm thinking about, let's say, you know, Solomon back there, we call him Mr. King, Solo. You know, most likely he thought like, wow, I have dominion over the sea. So I can have a shark for a pet. Alright? That was supposed to be a joke. Okay? Or you can have a tiger for a pet because you have dominion. But as I continue to read the Bible, I realized that when God gave us dominion over the sea, the air, and the land, 
What he meant is that we not only have to take care of ourselves, but we have to take care of other people as well and everything else that he created. Amen? You know, it is tough to be an adult. Really, really tough. It is tough to be a, a human being because you've been given that responsibility just to take care of not just yourself, but also everyone, everyone else. I'm going to take some water so I don't pass out, okay? Now, talking about being a human being, it's already tough to be a kid. You know, think about a little kid who is uh, probably, you know, a few months old or, you know, a year old. Uh, it's tough because they don't make any decisions. The parents make all the decisions for them. You know, what time you're going to bed, what time you're going to wake up, what to eat, you know, until the kid learns how to spit and how to, to throw tantrums. It's really tough uh, uh, being a kid. But there's also an advantage of being a kid. You don't have any responsibilities. You know, if you're hungry, you just need to cry a little bit and your mommy will come and feed you. Um, we buy everything for you as a kid. We protect you. We watch over you. That's an advantage of being a kid. And the dominion we are talking about and the responsibility that God has put on our shoulders starts from when we are kids. And then we grow to become teenagers. Now, how many teenagers do we have in the house? How many teenagers? How many teenagers in the house? Just a few. Can we clap for them, please? Let's clap for the teenagers. You know, being a teenager is a tough thing because I was once a teenager. You know, when you're a teenager, everybody feels like they have to correct you, everything that you say. They have to watch you. When you say, I'm going to go to the store, they'll ask you, what store are you going to and what time are you coming back? Okay? Your parents watch over you and your neighbors and everybody. So teenagers usually have a hard time. So it's tough being a teenager. But there is an advantage of being a teenager when someone is watching over you and asking you where you're going. And sometimes, you know, some parents put a GPS track on you to know where you're going. It sounds like a bad thing, but most likely you won't get in trouble because we know where you are. Almost every single stage of our life has an advantage. It's tough being an adult. And I'm talking about probably someone who has a family. You have kids, you have a husband, and you have a wife, or you have a, you're a single mother, or you're a single dad. Uh, it's tough being an adult because we have high expectations on you. Uh, we expect you to have your act together, which doesn't always happen. We expect you to have enough money so we can borrow from you. That's what we do as young adults. We expect you to have enough money. We expect you to, 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 to have investments, to have a house. You know, and, and there's a lot of pressure. And the society expects much from you as, as an adult. So it's tough being an adult. We are, st- we are still talking about dominion that God gave us, a whole lot of responsibility. Now, when, when you talk about being an adult, just, that's just your life and your, your family's life and the kids that you have. It's really tough. But it's way tougher being a young adult. How many young adults do we have in the house? Can I hear you? Make some noise, young adults, please. Young adults. Now, the message we have today is not just for young adults, but it's way tougher being a young adult. It's kind of like being a middle child. I am a middle child. I'm, I come from a family of seven. I have four brothers and two sisters. I'm the fifth, but I feel like I'm the middle child. Um, you, you know, when I, was, when I was really, really young, um, you know, my mom bringing up four boys. It was really tough. You know, bringing up boys is tough because, number one, uh, boys have a lot of energy and, and they eat a lot. So she used to cook all the time. And every time you keep on calling her name. And, and at some point she got so insensitive to us calling her mom. She couldn't, probably, I don't know whether she did on, or, or she did it on purpose, but one day I called her mom, mom, and she, she didn't respond. So I figured if I tried to call her by her middle name, she might respond. So I called her by her middle name and she looked. And I figured that's the way to go. Oh yeah, so sometimes you gotta be smart. 
And for many years I called my mom by her middle name until someone came to me and said, hey, you can't call your mom by her middle name. So we came up with a deal with my mom. Okay, my, my, my grandpa is called Lulu, L-U-L-U. And my dad is called Wambua. So we struck a deal with my mom. I call, I usually call her Lulu's daughter and she calls me Wambua's son. That's the deal, alright? So, being a middle child, you usually don't get a lot of attention. Uh, your parents tell you that you have to be a role model to your, to your, to your, to your young brother or your young sister. Uh, and then they also tell you that you have to respect your, your sister kind of the same way as your mother or you respect your brother kind of the same way as your, uh, as your, as your dad. So being a young, young adult is, is a tough thing. Now let's bring it home here in church. And I want you to have some fun with me. Um, if there's anything that needs to be done in church, some chairs that need to be carried, the adults usually look around and see, do we have any younger person? And then they say, like, you have a lot of energy. Can you carry these chairs? Oh, yeah, they do that all the time. And, and of course, we carry the chairs. But maybe deep inside, you're like, man, they always ask me to carry chairs. Um, if, if there's any cleaning to be done, we get asked to do all those kind of stuff. And sometimes we complain. I've had people complain. Now, I'm not trying to roast the young adults, but this is who we are. We, we have our own way of thinking. And sometimes we think the adults don't know what they're talking about. But there is a huge advantage of being a young adult. Number one, you have the opportunity to serve the mini- in the ministry, to serve the community, to serve your family, because especially those who don't have family, you have the time. You, 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 you can schedule yourself around um, the, the, the things that need to be done in the ministry or to help other people. If someone wants to move, they usually think about the young people. Okay, can you help me to move? They don't even ask you how is your schedule. Now, that's okay to an extent, especially if we have a good relationship. So young adults have an advantage of having the energy, having the time. So if I can challenge you this morning, is if you're a young adult, look for something that you can do for yourself, that you can do for the community, that you can do for the ministry. And today we are talking about the power of self-encouragement. Now, when I was thinking about this particular subject, um, a few things came to my mind. Does it mean that you have to sit down and talk to yourself and encourage yourself and forget about everyone else? How is that going to work? To an extent it does, but it doesn't give you everything that you need. Now, let's break down those two words, power and encouragement. Power means strength, power means stamina, power means the ability to do great things. And power starts from when you're young, when you're a little kid, um, you, you, you grow up and you learn to, to crawl, you learn to walk. And then you become a teenager and you get some kind of power now to make decisions, you become an adult, you become a, 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 a young adult and you learn how to make those kind of decisions. I learned the power, um, that power is something that we all need. Two years ago, I was in church school, just right here. And I was walking by, and I, and I walked into one of the classes. And as soon as I walked in, I found a young boy, and I believe by then he was six years old, and he was throwing tantrums. And the teach, I could tell from the look of the teacher's face that she was very frustrated with this particular boy. And what she, she said is that, just take him away. Okay? I can't deal with him. Find the mother and give him to the mother. So I took the boy away all the way to the other side. And um, I tried something. That really taught me a lesson. I, I took, took him all the way to the other side, and, and, I, and I, of course, I put him down and tried to run away. We, we, we talked a little bit, and I asked him, are you a man? And he said, yes, I'm a man. What kind of a man? He said, I'm, I'm a man. And then I, I, I told him, can you show me some muscles? And what he did, he rolled his sleeve, and he showed me some muscles. And he said one of the most amazing, amazing things. He said, I'm a man, I'm, and I'm powerful. Okay? That was a six-year-old boy. 
Now, where did that come from? This boy did not attend any particular class. For anybody to tell him that you need to be powerful. We all like power. But where do we draw our power from? It comes from God because he gives us that. It's an innate thing that we need to have. One of the other needs that we need to have is control. We like to have control over our life. We want to have control over what we do, our jobs and careers and businesses. And having control doesn't mean that you're going to be controlling. So where do you get control from? It's seeking power from God and asking him to lead you through so you can have control over your life. Now, we admire people who have self-control, people who have self-initiative, people who are self-driven, people who are self-status. That word self is very, very powerful, and we all admire that. So how can we apply that in our Uh, in our lives as Christians. So I'm going to share with you some ideas that I believe are going to be applicable in your life even as we listen um, to the voice of God. Now, when you talk about self-encouragement, the question is, what is it that you tell yourself when you wake up in the morning? Now, how many people here talk to themselves? By show of hands. How many people talk to themselves? We all do, even those who are not raising their hands. We talk to ourselves. And I've asked this question so many times. Almost every single person talks to themselves. But the question is, what do you tell yourself? It's very easy to say negative things when stuff are not working. But for you to tell yourself the positive stuff, you have to be intentional. It's something that you have to cultivate. Now, I had a privilege of growing up in a farm. And I know very well in a farm, you have to till the land and prepare the land and plant the seeds and do all kinds of stuff. And to protect those little crops until they grow so you can harvest. But you don't have to take care of the weeds. Weeds just grow. Okay? You even don't know where the seeds for the weeds are coming from. They just grow. Um, and, and you don't have to water them. You don't have to take care of them. Negative thoughts don't need any kind of encouragement. For you to say something negative about yourself, you don't need any kind of a someone. But for you to really speak positive about yourself, you have to be very intentional. So talking about the power of self-encouragement. Now, encouragement and discouragement are two sides of the same coin. And probably you've experienced... Um, a situation whereby one day you wake up in the morning, you're so pumped up, you're excited, you're going to work, you feel good about yourself. Maybe when you're driving on the highway, you're just, you know, singing and jumping to your, to your music, and then you look on the other side and someone is driving, okay, right there next to you, and then you stop and go like, wow, maybe I look weird. That's, that, that's, that's some of the things that happen, uh, when you are happy and you're encouraged. And maybe two hours later, something happens. You don't know what it is. Maybe a thought comes or you just feel cranky and you feel, uh, you, 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 you feel sorry for yourself or you feel like your life is not working and you're not good enough. Things like those happen. So encouragement and discouragement, they are two sides of the same coin. Imagine a coin, let's say a quarter. If you flip it like that and it drops on the floor, then you have no control. It's either going to be a head or a tail. Okay? You, you know, it's just a regular coin. It has a head, it has a tail. You toss it, drops on the, on the ground, you're going to have a head or a tail. So it can be encouragement or discouragement. So one side is encouragement, the other side is discouragement. Now as Christians, instead of just tossing the coin and having it drop on the floor and expect something to happen, expect to be encouraged when you have not worked for it, that doesn't happen. So as Christians, we have the privilege of knowing that we draw power from our God so we can have control. So don't toss your coin. Imagine having a coin on your hand. One side is encouragement, the other side is discouragement. You intentionally decide that I'm going to look at encouragement and I'm going to seek it, I'm going to create it, I'm going to 
work on it every single day to feel encouraged. And I'm going to share a few ideas on how to stay encouraged every single day. So Christians don't take chances with their lives. Yes, uh, God is there to help us, to give us strength, to give us direction, but we take, we have to take full responsibility for our life. In Matthew, in the book of Matthew chapter 12, um, actually chapter 13, verse 3 to 8, there's a story that was told by Jesus about a farmer. Now, how many people grew up in the farm? Anybody who knows how to plant? Right? Great. Most of us do. I grew up in the farm. Um, you know, on the way to school in the village, primary school, high school, and then I went to college. And, uh, but there I know how to plant. What I know is that when you have a seed, is that you dig a hole with probably one hand, and then you drop the seed, and either use whatever that you're using, whether it's a shovel or just a little stick or your foot to cover the seed so it can grow. So Jesus talks about a farmer. And, and I imagine that the farmer was a very ambitious farmer. He had a great seed, a well-selected, high-quality seed. Now, I learned the concept of selecting a seed from my grandma. Uh, my grandma was just about two miles from, from our home. And my brother and I, David, uh, we would go there almost every evening to go and hang out with my, my grandma. And one day we found a stack of, of, uh, of, of corn cobs, not really the cobs, yeah, the corn cobs really. Um, in, in Kenya we call them maize. And th- these were really long and look really very healthy. And she said, that's the seed. We don't eat the seed. We spare that so when the rainy season comes we can plant that. But my grandma was a little bit mean as well. You know, when you're trying to do, to roast the, 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 the maize or the corn, as we call it, she would give us the little ones for us to use, and then she keeps the big ones. So my brother and I thought it, that was very unfair. So one day, um, since she had that stuck somewhere, my brother and I decided to go and take some of those. And we took that for a long time before she realized we were doing it. Um, so one day we were at home, and, and she showed up, and as soon as she walked in, we knew we were in trouble. So my brother and I ran away, and she told my mom, I don't want to see your kids come into my house anymore, because we messed up with the seed. So farmers choose their seeds very, very well, and they protect the seed. So my question is, what kind of a seed do you have, and are you protecting that seed? Is it a seed about your career? Is it a seed about your ministry? Is it a seed about your marriage or your family? You got to select that very well, and you protect that with all your life. So Jesus tells a story about the farmer. And the first part says that some of the seeds fell on the wayside, and the birds came and got them, fell on the wayside. Um, it talks about the word of God which lands on someone and they don't get it very well and because they're not rooted then you know they come to church probably and then the next day they don't show up and they don't think uh, Christianity makes sense anymore that's an equivalent of a seed that, that fell on the wayside let's bring it down to our own life what are some of the seeds that you planted and because you're not careful enough because if you're carrying seeds and they're going to fall on the wayside and then you don't have the, the, the right container or you're just a little bit careless you're distracted by other things which means they're going to fall on the ground and then the bar are going to get them. You know, you meet someone, let's say Sister Nelly over here, you meet someone and you invite them to a Bible study and they say, sure, I'm going to be there. Actually, they're going to ask you, what time do we meet again? You say, Wednesday, every Wednesday, 6.30 p.m. And they say, Wednesday, I'm going to be there. Come Wednesday, they don't show up. And then you go like, I wonder what happened to that person. I know the solution. It's the birds. The birds got them. Someone walked, uh, walked into their house right before they, they, they left the house to come to the Bible study, study and asked them, what is it, where are you going? They said, I'm going to the Bible study. Then they said, why do you have to go to the Bible study? We are in church every single Sunday. You have a Bible in your house. Why can't we just have our own Bible study here as we drink tea? And that makes a lot of sense. So they don't come to the Bible study. 
You invite someone to come to church, they show up one, two, three times, the fourth time they don't show up, and then you can't get a hold of them. The birds got them. There's someone who is looking to eat your seed. There's something that's, that's looking to eat your seed. That's the devil and his agents. You have to be very careful. So select your seed very carefully, and then protect that seed. The story goes on that the second batch of the seeds falls on a rocky ground. Now, what that tells me is that if some of the seeds fell on the wayside, the farmer continued to plant. So some of the seeds fell on a rocky ground where the soil is very shallow, very shallow, not rooted, not enough strength to help the, uh, the little plants to grow. When the scorching sun came out, the little plants died. Someone hears the word of God, and they say, yeah, I'm going to try this Christianity thing, and you know, I'm going to read my Bible every single morning, I'm going to come to church, I'm going to hang out with you know, other Christians, and then at some point, it doesn't make sense to them. Now, just so you know, Christianity and the word of God is not a logical thing. Don't try to bring some logic into that. People say, science has proven. Who came up with the science? People. Who created the people? God created them. God owns everything. So don't try to challenge me with the science to say science has proven that Christianity doesn't work. Who came up with science? People and God created them. So don't try to bring a lot of logic. Definitely, there's some logic in it. So when people think that Christianity doesn't work, no, it's not Christianity that doesn't work. It's them who are not willing to work. To get the seed, protect the seed, water the seed, and help it to grow. And the story continues. The third batch of the seeds falls on a thorny ground. Of course, the little seeds, you know, they start to grow. And as soon as they start growing, the thorns choke them to death. You decide that you want to go back to school. Some of us really talk about that all the time. And you go, you know, place an application. Um, you get accepted to college. And then you look at the tuition fee. And you come up with all kinds of excuses and reasons why you cannot attend college. You say, I'm going to be, be paying $4,000 a semester. You know, I can save up some that money and I can build a nice house probably, you know, in Kenya or buy a beach house, whatever that you want to do. Or a friend comes around and, and says, why do you have to go to school? You are really old, okay? You are over 40. Are you going to be going to school with the same kids who are, I mean, with kids who are the age of your own kids? Then according to you, it doesn't make sense. It's not logical. But when you think about it, who gave you the dream? I mean, who put the dream in your heart to go back to school? Maybe you might claim that someone advised you, but who talked to those people to advise you? God did. Every single idea that you have in your heart comes from God. So long as it's for good and it's morally right and it, 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 it's a spiritual idea, definitely that comes from God. You decide that you're going to come to church every single Sunday. You're going to serve in the ministry. And uh, you get attached to one of the ministries, whether it's ushering or Sunday school or, or, or just security, whatever ministry it is. And then you do it a few times. And you go like, this thing is not making me feel good. No, the ministry is not there to make you feel good. It's there to help you to fulfill the purpose that God has called you for. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now the farmer continues to plant. And, and that's the key, the secret to success in everything that you do, whether it's in your personal life, in your career, or in the ministry, is to continue doing it, to keep on doing it. Beyond all the discouragement that you face, then you have to keep on doing that. He continues to plant. 
And finally, the seed falls on a good soil, on a fertile soil that has the, all the nutrients. It's probably well fenced where the, no animals can come in and mess up the crops, whereby the devil cannot come in and mess it up. So it's going to happen at some point. So for those who are taking notes, I just want you to note this. If you keep on planting, the seed is always going to fall on a good soil. It's going to happen at some point. Nobody knows how long it's going to take. You can't control the timing, but it's going to happen at some point. The seed always falls on a good, good ground. So again, the question is, what kind of seeds are you planting in your life? And I asked a question earlier today. What do you tell yourself every day when you wake up in the morning? The power of self-encouragement. Let me give you a secret, something that I've learned. Is that... If you are so much self-absorbed, thinking about yourself every day when you wake up, thinking about how much money you're going to make, how you're going to build your career, how you're going to build your, your family, at some point you're going to dry up. You can't have enough water in the well. You have to tap on other people's wells as well. So the power of self-encouragement comes from serving others. You step out of yourself and ask yourself, what is it that other people need? And you serve them. Now, this is something that you can try. Give it a week. Give it two, two, a month or two months and tell me it's going to work every single time. Stepping out of yourself. When people, you know, uh, complain about their lives and whine about their lives, they say nothing works. I'm not good enough. I'm not making enough money. I'm not, you know, my family is not working well. My life is not going as well as Linda's. It's because they are so much self-absorbed. But when you step out of yourself, you know, they say, this is Isaac right here. I step out of myself. Now I can look at myself from a distance and I can see the reality in it. There's a fact and it's a truth. In this world, there's going to be someone who is doing better than you by human standards. By human standards. In God's standards, that doesn't apply. But because we are human beings, every single time when you open your eyes, you're going to find someone and see someone who is seemingly doing better than you, but you don't know what's going on in their lives. So you better just get used to it. There's someone who's going to seemingly be doing better than you. But when you step out of yourself, you're going to find there's someone who is trying to be like you, who is doing worse than you, again, by human standards. So the secret is to step out of yourself and look at your problems and your challenges from a different perspective. Let me illustrate something real quick. Now, how many people here have ever been stressed out before? Anybody who has ever been stressed out? Anyone who is stressed out right now? Yeah? Just pretending? Yeah? It's true. I know you're, you're worried about something. But because, like I said, when you come to church, you're supposed to be a good sister. Okay? You know, how are you doing? Doing great. But deep inside, you're like, you have no idea what's going on. Okay. Now let me illustrate something. When you have a problem, we typically and naturally focus on that problem, trying to come, come up with a solution for that problem. Most of the times we try the means that we know and the strategies and the methods that we have. And most of the times until we hit a snag, we don't even call on God. So this is what happens when you have, if this is your problem and you're looking at it right there, you bring it close because you're going to, you're trying to understand that problem. It blocks everything else. You bring it right here, you can see what's happening in the world. Now, our God is powerful, all omnipresent, all majestic. He's everywhere. And He's here today. So when you have your problem and you bring it close right here, it blocks everything else, including God. You'll not be able to experience his power. You'll not be able to know that he's here. But if you step aside and you put your problem right there, 
and you step back and you look at it through God's eyes, it, it diminishes, becomes smaller. That's one of the secrets again of success. Step back and look at that problem and ask yourself, what would God do? What would God say? How would he look at that problem? What will he say about my problem? And he will say that it's not even a problem. It's just a challenge that you have. It's going to help you to grow, become a better Christian, become a better mother, become a better brother. That's another secret. You step back and you look at your problem through God's eyes. Praise God. Now, we talked about personal dreams. And I'm going to speak this specifically to the young adults. And I think it will apply to everyone. As young adults, we usually have a lot of dreams. People sit down, especially when they are 19, 20, um, and they say, by the time I turn 25, I'm going to have this kind of a job, this kind of a career, this kind of money, this kind of a house. I'm, I'm going to start a family. And then times move on, moves on, and you, at some point you find you haven't achieved the things that you wanted. And then you ask yourself, what happened to me? Sometimes you, you don't have an explanation. Things just happen. But what happens is that someone comes around and either steals your dream or disorients your dream and messes it up. Now, if your dream has been messed up, again, don't step back and blame everyone for it. As Christians, we take 100% responsibility for what happens in our life. Whether it's working the way we want or not, we take 100% responsibility. And, and, and what we do, because we have an advantage more than anyone else out there, is that to tell God, God, I've messed up. I need strength to move to the next level. I want to fix this. God likes hearing that. But when you look at him and you blame everyone and say, my enemies don't like me, you know, they, they discourage me, they steal my career, they steal my dream, they steal my marriage. According to me, God is just hearing someone who is whining and complaining. God always works with a vessel and a tool that he can use. And it's very evident in the Bible. Um, think about the time when Jesus was passing by and there was a guy called Bartimaeus who was blind. Okay, you remember that story? And Bartimaeus called and said, Jesus, the son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus came to him and asked, what can I do for you? And he said, I want to see. What Jesus did, he took a little dirt and he mixed with saliva and put in his eyes. And he was able to see. Now, don't you think that Jesus had the power just to tell, to tell him, hey, from now on, once you're going to see. He didn't have to use that, but God uses a tool. And you are the tool that he's going to use to either solve your problems or solve other people's problems. To advance yourself to the next level. Let me give you another example. Moses. Moses was one of the worst speakers. He was shy. When he, he was called by God to go to Egypt and deliver the, 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 the Israelites, he said, I cannot go because I stutter, because I'm not a good speaker. He said, I'm going to give you Aaron. Your brother is going to be your speaker. Aaron was the vessel that was going to be used to communicate. But, and God asked him, what do you have on your hand? He had a staff. And that staff did a lot of things. Okay? At some point, he, he dropped the staff on the, on the ground and there was a big snake that ate all the other snakes. You know the story. Uh, the story. And then when they were, they were leaving Egypt, right by the Red Sea, when the, the Israelites were all crying and saying, why did you take us from Egypt? And, and, and why did you bring us here to die? And Moses looked up. And he looked at the people and he said, do not worry. Stay still. That's in uh, Exodus 14. Stay still. The Egyptians you see, you never see them anymore. That's what he said. And God told him, go ahead and lift your staff. And the sea is going to be divided into two. That's what happened. That's a two. God had the power to lift his hand, whatever he is, or to do whatever that it is, and to say a word and the, for, for the sea to part ways. But he used a two. God is going to use you 
to, uh, uh, to, to solve your problems again and solve other people's problems. I learned the power of self-encouragement when I was growing up. Now, some of you know my story, but I'm going to give you just a glimpse of it. Um, uh, in 2014, uh, two of friends of mine, we drove to North Carolina. One of my friends was getting married. And um, we just talk, you know, when you're driving for 17 hours, sometimes you run out of stuff to talk about. And at some point, one of the guys, because he was married, he said, you know, I respect my wife because she comes from a family of 10. They didn't have a lot of resources. They suffered a lot, but she was able to get out of that. And I really, really respect my wife. And I said, I totally understand. And he said, you don't understand. And I asked him, why do you think I don't understand? He said, because you grew up in the city. You're a city boy. That's why he called me. And I said, you have no idea. I didn't grow up in the city. I grew up in the village. A real village. Now, now, you know, I come from a place that nobody, I mean, everybody wants to move out and nobody wants to move back in. The place is called Kitui. How many people have heard of Kitui? I know, some of you make fun of us, right? Yeah, it's a place, honest, and it's true. The place is really dry. We don't have a lot of resources. And, and you know, you, you, you get to know that you come from a poor family when poor people call you poor, all right? Oh, yeah, just look at you and say, you guys are just so poor. That's when you know you come from a, a very, very poor family. Um, I grew up here, and 99.9% of the kids didn't have shoes when they were going to school. I was one of the kids. The first time I wore a closed shoe, I was in class 8. Okay, that's what you used to call it, 8th grade. And it was a plastic shoe. Now, you can imagine wearing a plastic shoe in Kitui, 120 degrees. All right? So I walked with those shoes, and, you know, my feet were burning, so I took them off. I was used to walking without shoes. Took them off, and, uh, you know, I, I was good to go. Now, when I was growing there... One of the dreams that I had was to go to high school. Because when you're going to a boarding high school, you get to wear, you know, to get new pants, you get shoes, you get a towel, you know, you get somehow, even if you're going to live in a dormitory, at least you're going to have your own space. That was my dream. But the power of self-encouragement came in because my mother, having seven kids, four, I mean, five boys and two girls, um, she didn't have resources. She didn't have money. My mom has never gone to school. She doesn't know how to read. She doesn't know how to write. And she had to depend on other people's resources, working in people's farms. Oh, yeah. And doing all kinds of stuff. And when I was 12 years old, that's when we were introduced into working in people's farms. Wake up at 5 in the morning, go work in someone's farm, come, you know, just uh, clean up ourselves and go to school. In the evening, we do the same thing. Sometimes we work for a full day and we just get food to eat. You know, sometimes rich people take advantage of you. You know that. They take advantage of you. But one day, I think I was 13, I was coming from school. And apparently, which I can't take credit for it, I did very well in school. And that came from my mother. She said, stick in school and do well. That's the only way you're going to get from, uh, out of this environment. We were coming from school, and I was passing through the market, and I had some adults. I think there were two ladies and a few men sitting there in the market. And they said, you see this boy and his brothers, they are going to be thugs and thieves who will be breaking into people's houses because they will never get education. Now, how do you tell a 13-year-old that? And how do you recover from that? You know, I went home, of course, I told my mom. And according to me, my mother is the best motivational speaker I've ever met. She said, don't worry, this is just a, a season. And she said, what they say does not nullify what God says about you. My mother is a stout Christian. She is. And that gave us strength. We stuck in school. So I learned how to encourage myself from, then on, you know, from that time, time on. It doesn't matter what anybody says. Now, this brings another point. There has to be someone that believes in you. Find someone within this church, outside church, at your place of work, who believes in you even when you don't feel strong enough. They're going to take your places. My mother believed in me, believed in my brothers. 
Now, many times we went without food, literally. I remember two specific days that you go without food and you have to go to school the following day. You know, I was skinny by default, you know. You know, you, you, your arms are skinny and your legs and you have a big tummy because of malnutrition. Um, so I didn't have to work out because I was skinny. You know, people think being skinny is the in thing. But now the problem is here in America, I have enough money to buy enough food and now I have to work out to lose weight. You know, how ridiculous is that, right? That's how things work. God takes from one place to another. So there, there are so many things about, about my life. It wasn't supposed to be like that. I blame my, my dad and everybody else for a long time. But I learned that when God is on your side, things always work out. And something else I've, I've never told most of the people, I've not told anyone about me is that I have a very carefree attitude. And carefree in the sense that knowing there's someone behind me who is more powerful than anyone else. That is God. It doesn't matter what anybody says. If they show up and they say, Isaac, you don't know what you're talking about, I'll say, that's very interesting because my God knows what I'm talking about. If they think I'm not strong, and of course I'm not a strong guy, really physically, but there's someone who is behind me who is strong than anybody else. Let me give you an, uh, an analogy. How many people here have been pulled over by a police officer before? Speeding up? You have, Right? Now, um, I've seen big trucks, you know, driving and, and then they get pulled over. They always pull over. So why do they pull over and the police officer has a little car? It's just one person. Is it because the police officer is stronger than the person driving the truck? Probably not. The truck is big enough, but when they are pulled over, they have to do that because the police officer has some authority behind him. He has the law, probably has the gun, has the government behind him. You have God behind you. Hallelujah. Praise God. Don't worry what's going on. God is behind you. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to fight for you. Now we read in Jeremiah 29, and I'll be done in, here in five minutes. Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. I'm interested in verse 12. How do you encourage yourself? How do you get yourself out of that funk? Number one, you call upon the name of the Lord. You seek him. Sometimes we assume that God is going to find you and if he, he has been looking for you if you are not born again. As soon as he finds you, you have a responsibility to call upon him. He's not just going to show up. You know, I used to think um, th- th- that when it comes to God showing up and speaking to you, it has to be a big voice. And I was sold into that kind of a myth again when I was in primary school. I was, think- I was imagining that God is a, is a grand uh, person or being, whatever that it is, who will just show up. And then when they're walking, just those big steps, God shows up and they speak with a big voice and call me by my name. And I used to wonder what kind of a language they use. Is it, is it going to be my Campbell language or is it going to be English, whatever that it is? But God is asking us to call upon him. He will listen. That's the condition. If you call upon him and you don't, I mean, if, if you don't call upon him, of course, there's no way he's going to come through for you. So God has a plan for you to give you a future and a hope in your life and in your career. So when you understand who you are, how God sees you and your purpose in life, that's the turning point to greatness. And like we said, you start taking full responsibility for your life. You know, you wake up in the morning determined to work hard, to do the right thing, to soar through hardships, 
with one goal in mind to fulfill the purpose that God has for you. And according to me, to me, the purpose that God has for each one of us is to take care of ourselves, take care of our families, take care of the community, take care of this world. In Genesis 1:26, he gave us dominion over the sea, over the air, over the land, to take care of those, not just the animals, but everything that moves in it, including other people. Self-encouragement, step out of yourself, and so you can see um, uh, uh, other people's challenges and, and feel that, you know, definitely you are doing better than that. And not to be arrogant, but of course to give you some kind of perspective. Stepping out of yourself, so you can see problems and challenges as God sees them. When things are not working, encourage yourself, then get up and get going. You can encourage yourself in the Lord by deliberately focusing your mind on the good things the Lord has done, the greatness of the Almighty God, His abundant mercies and faithfulness, particularly on the things that He has done for you. Yes, we said you need to step out of yourself, but make it personal so you can have a testimony. If you say, this is what the Lord has done for me, this is what I know the Lord is going to do for me, nobody can shake you. You know, uh, we, 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 we ride on the other people's testimony and we say, I know there's a lady in my church who used to be sick and God healed him. I know there's a guy in my church who didn't have a job and God helped him out. Yes. You need to look for those things that God has, the God has done for you. However small they are and have a testimony, it's going to give you confidence. And that means you can wake up every morning and go to work or wherever that you are going, knowing that you have some kind of power uh, behind you. You can draw great strength from within you if you dare to focus on the Lord. And in Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent, and there is something that is excellent, your calling is excellent, your purpose is excellent, whatever that you dream about is excellent, or praiseworthy, think about such things. And when you do that, no devil can fight that. Amen? No devil can fight that. Now, I'm not saying that you're not going to get discouraged. It's going to happen. Sometimes you don't have a control over what happens to you or who says what. The only control you have is your reaction towards what happens to you. And because we are human beings full of emotions, sometimes we jump in and say something, and then you say, oh, Lord, I just sinned. I need to ask for forgiveness. And you should. But if you can catch yourself before you say something, because life and death are in the power of the tongue before you say something, then that's going to help you. So whatever that happens, pause for a second. And I mean just a second. Or five seconds at most. And ask yourself, how does God see this? Brother Mudui, you know, you're a good guy. But who knows? Tomorrow something might get into him. And then he tells me something very unpleasant. Instead of going like, I knew that he would say something at some point. Okay? I'll just go like, okay, what's going on with him? I get curious. How does God look at him? God is looking at him as my child who is stressed out today. He doesn't know what to do. He's just throwing tantrums and saying anything that comes into his mind. And God has called me to watch over him as my brother. So we have a full responsibility. It's not as we think that it's just my life, my family's life, and just your career and everything. We have full responsibility for everyone. And that's what we preach even in church. We watch our brothers, we watch over our sisters every single day. And it's not an Emma thing, it's not a church thing. It is a God's command. He has called us to watch over each other. So I just want you to do me a favor. 
turn to the person next to you. Tell them you are powerful. Tell them you are powerful. Tell them you are amazing. Now tell them one more thing. Don't flip the coin. Don't flip the coin. Hold the coin coin strongly. On one side we have encouragement. On the other side we have discouragement. We are always going to look at the encouragement and decide what we are going to do every single day to stay encouraged. And then tell them one more thing. Step out of yourself. Step out of yourself. Hallelujah. Amen. And actually we are done. So this is what we are going to do. You don't need to come to the front. If you are discouraged about something, don't feel guilty. It happens all the time. I just want all of us to stand up. If you can, go ahead and stand up. And I just want you to think about the problems that you're worried about, the challenge that you have, that one thing that's bugging you every single day, that thing that's discouraging you. And I want you to genuinely focus on God. Picture God being right in front of you and asking you, what can I do for you, my son? What can I do for you, my daughter? If you can go ahead and put your hand like this. Can you do this for me? Put your hand like this. Now, I want you to take all your problems and put them in God's hand. If you take those hands and you hand those problems to God, then you're going to be free. And you can do that every single day. God never gets tired. Take those problems. Why should you carry discouragement and worry and anxiety in your heart when God can do it for you? So you take those problems, you put them in your hand, and you hand them to God. So I'm going to have our mom, Mrs. Pastor, to come to the front. And she's going to pray with us. And like I said, you don't need to come to the front. If you are discouraged, just open your heart and tell God to give you encouragement. God bless. Amen. What an encouragement. Let us pray together. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for your servant this afternoon, O God. We thank you for the word that you have spoken to us through him, O King of glory. We thank you because you have reminded us to be an encouraged, O God, in our lives, O Jehovah Father. You have given us power, you have given us internal power and the resources within ourselves, O God. And that is what you have used him today to remind us, God, that you have called us with a purpose in this world, O God. And just the way the reading went, you have good plans for each one of us, O Lord. Plans to prosper us and plans to give us future, O God. Is there anyone standing who is really discouraged, O Jehovah Father? We are being reminded we can put all our burdens, all our discouragements before you, O God. And you are ready to take them the way they are, O God. We thank you because we do not have to carry anything that bothers us this afternoon, O God. But we can only give it to you and your able Lord, to do it for us, O Jehovah Father. Receive all the honor, receive all the adoration, because you are King of kings and you are Lord of lords, O God. Thank you for the way you have spoken in a special way, O Jehovah Father. Thank you for teaching us through your servant this afternoon, O God. Thank you for inspiring us, O God. 
thank you, God, for everything that you have spoken to us, each of us individually, the way you have done it, oh God. May your name be uplifted, oh God. Anyone who is sick in our presence, Lord, and needs healing, oh Jehovah, and they are discouraged of how they feel this afternoon, may your healing power be upon them in the name of Jesus Christ. Anyone who is worried about their family, oh God, in any way, oh Jehovah, Father, that you know, God, may you encourage them and tell them it is well, oh God. Anyone, my father, who is worried about work, oh Jehovah God, you are the only one who can visit them in whatever bothers them in relation to your, their work, oh Jehovah God. Any young person who is worried about their future, oh King of Glory, this afternoon I pray you remind them they take it to you, oh God, and you will do for them, oh God, because you love them, oh God. Thank you for the young adults and the way you have used them this day, O oh God. We thank you for the energy that you have given them and the spirit of loving to serve you that you have put in them, O oh God. Remember them this afternoon and then encourage them to do more for you in your house, O oh Jehovah Father. We thank you, we honor you, and we worship you. For it is in Jesus' name, our Lord and Savior, we do pray.